0: And we're glad to have on the program Derek Martin. He is the executive director of the Erie Regional Airport Authority. And thank you so much for coming on talkerie.com. Glad to be here. We
1: appreciate it.
0: So uh, this is a family show. We start out with origin stories. How'd you come up? How'd you get to Erie?
1: I'm originally from Chicago. I lived the uh, majority of my life in Chicago. I went to college in beautiful... Warm Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they really
0: experienced warmth last week, didn't
1: they? Yes, yeah. they did. Uh, even the locals were complaining it was cold. Yeah. And then I uh, I finished my college there. I spent a number of years refereeing professional ice hockey, both uh, domestic and internationally. And I uh, worked for the National Hockey League for five years, was in professional hockey for 20. And then I was in working in the travel industry. I worked for the Hertz Corporation, Northwest Airlines, and then came and involved air, in airport management. I started off in a town in Rockford, Illinois, about 70 miles from O'Hare International Airport. Yeah. Made my way west to the west coast to beautiful Klamath Falls, Oregon. Uh, 45 minutes from Crater Lake National Park in about an hour. What's and a half. the
0: three-letter code for Klamath Falls? Uh, LMT. LNT, okay. LMT. LMT. Cause we actually play this game. Okay. Of, of uh, Actually, we just play this uh, on Thanksgiving with my brothers-in-law you know, of, of all, you know, why LaGuardia, LGA, you know, why is uh, Orlando MCO, you know what I mean? Trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm sorry. I cut you off. But it's, (laughs) I, I, that's one of those uh,
1: transportation geek things that we love to do. Okay, great. (laughs) Uh, So I went from uh, Klamath Falls, worked for the Port Authority in New York, New Jersey, since Mm -hmm. you mentioned LaGuardia. (laughs) yeah. Uh, So I worked for them for six years in on the Mm -hmm. executive management team in the aviation department. Then um, most recently I was the vice president of operations and maintenance for Detroit Metropolitan Airport, along with Willow run their secondary airport as well, and and now I'm here in Erie. That
0: that's a gorgeous airport, Detroit, isn't it? They they made some major investments. It's it's one of those really nice places to make a connection.
1: Yeah, the, I actually was with. I worked for Northwest airlines when that was built. So I was there from, from the ground up watching it being built. The, 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 the steel ox actually was there the day that they put the train, everybody you know, knows about the train. Well, they had to put the train inside before they closed off the building. So I was the day that, that they put that inside the building with cranes uh, and, and those sort of things. So it's a, it was a fascinating experience. Great watching it being built and great. I think it's one of the premier airports in the country from a ability to connect from point A to point B fairly seamlessly, especially, domestic to international
0: sure sure yeah i mean well engineering just kind of fascinates me yeah all right so well let's talk about the state of transportation in erie county from where you sit
1: uh, in aviation I think transportation is fine. I'm surprised how long it takes to get from point A to point B around here. I think you got too many lights. I don't know what's that going on. So trying to come across 12th or 26th streets at certain times of the day, it's it's pretty congested. Uh, I think the, 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 the travel infrastructure is good from uh, getting people uh, about the community. Uh, the airport, we have, uh, you know, two entrances onto uh, 12th Street and uh, exits. So I think we have... Uh, what we need at the moment to uh, facilitate the traffic of people coming and going to the airport. Parking is okay. Yeah, we have uh, currently have enough parking. We're going to do some reconfiguration of the facility. We're moving the car rental uh, locations. Um, there is a strip. Uh, Lane outside the terminal building where you'll see uh, rent-a-car parking only. And then down at the end, you have uh, a bus lane where people can get on the the local city bus to get around town. Uh, That lane where they rent-a-cars is is not efficient for our growth. So um, we're getting rid of that lane and we're going to put a -a rent-a-car sort of ready area and return area in one spot. So it's just one location. And that way it'll free free up some of the traffic coming in and out of the terminal building as people are picking up their, you know, uh, passengers that are arriving, or you know, grabbing an Uber or whatever they want to do.
0: Sounds good. We're we're talking to Derek Martin. He's the executive director of the Erie Regional Airport Authority. And let's let's just talk about you know what's happening at the airport. We'll take the the three uh, segments as I know them as a layperson. So let's talk about commercial aviation. Uh, We've got,
1: uh, is it three or four airlines that service Erie right now? Currently, currently we have the top three airlines in the country, uh, all legacy carriers, which is American, currently going to Philadelphia. On uh, May 3rd, they'll be going to Charlotte and Chicago i'm excited about that yeah. yeah and then united airlines goes nonstop to charlotte and we were talking about the detroit airport and then we have delta that flies nonstop into uh the mcnamara terminal in detroit metro so uh, those united
0: th- goes to chicago correct right
1: yeah so chicago is the only dual hub airport in the country so what i mean by that is there's two legacy carriers that operate a hub there so american united both operate a hub in and out of chicago
0: will that necessarily mean for the consumer that maybe there'll be more competitive pricing between American and United going to Chicago or through Chicago
1: well I think you're, people have seen more competitive pricing overall uh, and I think what they've done since I've been here is people are actually looking at the the prices in and out of Erie so if you uh, people have told me um, this woman from the chamber her husband travels every every month or sometimes twice a month and prior to the announcement of a new service never really checked Erie for for prices now that the, the new announcement came out for service he checked. And he booked all his travel this year out of Erie because the prices were better or the same as other airports in the region.
0: Can you talk about employments from last year? You did have like a a, a recent uh, um, uh, release about that. Yeah, they so they, up
1: 11 percent or 11.7 percent. The airport was up 11.7 percent. So the employments were up about a little over 10,000. So that's a 20, additional 20. Twenty thousand passengers. So last year, the passengers in and out of the Erie Airport was just shy of two hundred thousand. So about one hundred ninety thousand passengers flew in and out of the airport. With the additional seats uh, that American's going to bring to town on an annual basis, that's about eighteen thousand two hundred and fifty. We should we should go over two hundred thousand passengers next year and, and look for, look for another you know. Hopefully, a double-digit growth again next year.
0: When you talk about employments uh, themselves, so from the Erie market, how, how many is that generally? Because uh, I'm looking at uh, some legacy data on employments back down back to 2000.
1: So, what would that number be for 2018? Uh, 2018 was about 95, 96 thousand
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's definitely up from what it's been and, correct and what you, you attribute that to bigger planes uh better yeah, so jets
1: the, so there was two there was two things that that happened um all the carriers at the airport america in particular they were flying a uh 37 passenger turboprop aircraft they've up that to a 50 passenger aircraft so every day we were getting an additional 26 uh seats my math is correct, the day in and out of the community. So that increase uh, allowed more people to fly in and out of Erie. So that increase of of seat capacity and also over the Thanksgiving holiday season, uh, all the airlines added about 190,000 seats nationwide and Delta added additional seat capacity over the Thanksgiving holiday timeframe by adding an additional flight in and out of the community. So with those increases, a lot more seats to be available for consumers to take advantage of and the community responded by taking advantage of those additional seats and using earring.
0: Let's talk about destinations. Um, and again, I, I am a total travel mm-hmm. uh, aficionado. I won't call myself a geek cause I could never know the the body of knowledge that you have, but uh, um the, at one point in our history, we actually subsidized a flight to Philadelphia. There was there was some felt need. I don't know if you were aware of this, but at one point, I don't know if it was the chamber or, or businesses around here were paying because we used to have that that direct flight on U.S. Air or U.S. Airways to Pittsburgh, and we wanted a second one to Philly. So that's when the prop service started. Of course, U.S. Air pulls out of Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia became our hub you know, for U.S. Air, U.S. Air and American merge. And, you know, it's like this really long story. But anyway, is there not that felt need anymore to go to Philadelphia?
1: Well, Philadelphia has its challenges. I don't know if it's a need. It's also what the airlines are doing. So take, for example, United Airlines. United Airlines uh, has a hub in Newark, New Jersey. And because of the congestion in Newark, and also it's one of the four slot-restricted airports in the country, they've moved businesses down to our uh, flights down to Dallas. So the other day I was somewhere and somebody says, well, when are we getting non-stop service to New York? And I said, never. And they looked at me like kind of, well, why? Well, the reason is the, the, the United, the airports, three of the four airports that are slot control are LaGuardia, JFK and Newark. So that what slot control means, there's only X number of flights that can come in per hour. So the number is call it 60. So are you going to fly a 50 passenger plane into Newark or are you going to fly a plane that holds 200? They're flying a plane that holds 200. So that's why you're not going to get service from Erie into New York City. Uh, When I was working for the Port Authority, Alaska Air wanted to try to get into the New York market. So the only way we could get them in is they arrived at 1230 at night. Wow. And they left at 545 in the morning. That was the only way they could operate a, a nonstop flight from Seattle to uh, JFK, and that was with a plane that held approximately 200 passengers. So, when you have, a, you have airports that are slot controlled, so the other one is um, Washington Reagan. That's another slot okay, controlled sure. airport. So, those are airports that, because of restrictions on capacity, you know, a lot of communities that might want service nonstop are not going to get nonstop service to those destinations because of those restrictions put on by the federal government.
0: With your knowledge of the Port Authority of New York, and again, we're off Erie for a second here, but. Um, is is that uh airspace due for a, another land you know ice you know building out ice slip or building out uh uh one of the other well, outlying areas do you think well or? the Port
1: Authority bought Stewart airport a few years ago and they've had some surges of some international carriers flying norwegian flying over from europe into uh to that airport, and they have a Legionnaire, and they have Delta, they have Jet Blue. Uh, the, the challenge is, is the proximity to Manhattan. Yeah, uh, it's about you know an hour away. And you mentioned Islip. Islip is one of the airports that the Southwest effect didn't happen. And what I mean by the Southwest effect, Southwest believes they put you put a, a plane uh, where they where it is, and people will f- drive uh, an hour right. hour and a half right. to get there. In New York, that didn't happen. Interesting. So the the number of um, seats in the marketplace that they wanted to have, uh, they had to reduce over the years because what they found was people that lived uh, east of Islip maybe used that airport, but people that lived west of that Islip airport used uh, LaGuardia or Kennedy. So there was not a draw. The other issue is there is no public transportation. So if you're trying to get somebody into Manhattan for Islip, there's no easy way to get there. So those are some of the challenges uh, that that we see in the New York marketplace is that there really is no, no viable alternative. We looked at airspace changes and those sort of things, but if you ever saw a visual of the airspace over New York City during yeah. the peak of the day, it looks like you're looking at spaghetti, how yeah. much congestion's in there. So that's the only thing you really can do in the New York market is fly bigger airplanes. You, you can't do uh, you know, more volume.
0: We're talking to Derek uh, Martin. He is the executive director of the Erie Regional Airport Authority. Uh, We're we're barely getting there. We're already over time. So uh, take a break and we're going to come back uh, with uh, Mr. Martin. All right, let's talk. Let's switch gears here Uh, uh, again. um, You know, I have one more question about commercial aviation because you are an expert. Uh, Back in um, 2005 in Erie, Employments were as high as one hundred and eighty-seven thousand. What would cause our market to kind of depress so much to being half of what it at once
1: was? You know, in the la- in, in recent memory, really. Well, it, it didn't compress. You just lost the service. So, you, at the time you mentioned it earlier, you had nonstop service to uh, Pittsburgh. I think it was on seven thirty-seven aircraft. So those are planes hold about one hundred and thirty passenger uh, a day. So, so per flight so what happened is you had a hub down in Pittsburgh people got on a plane here here in Erie flew down to Pittsburgh could basically connect anywhere they want to go yeah. and that service went away when the uh, US Airways and American merge they they basically made a hub out of in Philadelphia they decommissioned a the hub in Pittsburgh and not just the Erie market but other markets that were feeding that Pittsburgh a hub. all all lost number of seats and because you lost the seats um, you weren't able to to drive that business down there so what we have is we have uh, we fill our seats 85 to 90 percent capacity we just don't have enough seats in the marketplace so we have people that are actually driving about 250 people a day going to other airports because we don't have the service so it's not that people aren't using the service in erie is we don't have the seats so Erie competes against other markets for seats. So you're competing against any other airport of similar size in the country, trying to get from destinations point A to point B. So airlines don't spend a multi-million dollars to buy an additional plane. They try to figure out where the best place to put that plane. It is a zero sum game then. Correct. The airlines. Correct. Okay. Just, that, li- just that like fo- makes sense yeah, yeah just like football when there's only going to be one champion a year and so you can try to spend as much money as o- uh, Ohio State University or you can try to spend as much money as Texas, but there's only going to be one winner. Interesting. Let's talk about cargo. Okay. At one point, again, uh, I'm just,
0: just my memory serves that we, we had a, a, a grand scheme of, of like a, a cargo center uh, that would have a hub to, connected to Germany. How does cargo do in Erie? Uh, is there a market there for growth? Is there, is there any economic development happening when, when it comes to cargo?
1: Well, we're working on trying to position the airport for cargo. I actually had a conversation with our consultant today to make sure that we're doing a master planning process that that document has identified on what's called the a- ALP airport layout plan, a spot for, for new cargo. Uh, the challenge with cargo is uh, it's outbound cargo. So I think when the runway was extended, uh, what was communicated to the locals was not a fair explanation. I think it was fantasy land. Um, oh, wow. Because nonstop service to Germany. Uh, would be difficult because what's your outbound cargo? So I, my first airport was a UPS cargo hub in um, Rockford, Illinois. That airport is 70 miles from O'Hare International, but it was also about 45 minutes from Lands End Outlet. Lands End has, you know, had their product in Sears, but before they were in Sears, they were only on a catalog. So UPS would bring their trucks back to the warehouse. Load them up, take them out to the airport. We'd had 23 flights a night come in from all over the country. Drop uh, the resorting those packages along with what we got from Lands and Outlet. Those 200, 300,000 packages would be resorted in planes and they get shipped out. So there was this outbound component that made 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 sense. So right now in the, in the community, um, UPS I think buses things in, and we have um, four or five small aircraft come in daily from FedEx that uh, comes into the Erie community that from a cargo perspective, but the amount of cargo going out is very limited from that perspective. So we have to work on how we can position the airport to, to serve a, a more geographical need. So one of the conversations I'm having is that if you want to set up your cargo distribution here in Erie, you could service Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland, so a, more, a longer geographical area. So as, as long as the trucking component makes sense, you know that's what we're working on. We also have to work with the local planning department to make sure we have the road infrastructure to get these tractor trailers on the uh, west or the east side of the airport um, and, and and get to the back of the airport on the south side. So there's a lot of logistics working on it. I'm working with some county planners and folks to understand wh- what's needed, and we're trying to put together a uh, plan to continue to go after cargo.
0: You don't you don't have uh, manufacturers or goods makers here in Erie beating down your doors about. Uh, you know, more cargo capacity.
1: No, and I think the, what was talked about before was something with GE. Yeah. And the GE's uh, capacity and things they've done in this community has right. gone down dramatically. Sure. So the, there, is the, there is not a manufacturer that, you know, has a volume of stuff. And the other thing you have to understand is, you know, is it something that you can put on a truck versus you put on the plane? And if you can put it on the truck and get it there, it's going to be less expensive than putting on the plane. So Chicago O'Hare has tons of inbound cargo, but those cargo planes typically go out at uh, 50 to 65% full. So if you have that problem at O'Hare, you can imagine what it would be like here in in Erie. It makes sense. Uh, Talking to
0: Derek Martin, he's the executive director of the Erie Regional Airport Authority.
1: Um, What did the $80 million runway get us? It got you um, the ability not to take a penalty on aircraft. So what I mean by that, um, depending on the weather conditions, so the one that's easier is heat. So if you're in Arizona or Las Vegas and it gets over 120, all the planes are grounded because they can't take off in that high heat. So if you have heat conditions here in Erie, the airlines were taking a penalty uh, they would take p- bumping people, passengers off or baggage off because there was not enough runway for them to take off. So the $80 million to get you a runway that could, could handle that. that is also it gave you a runway that can handle planes up to 257 miles. Uh, 200 passengers. So when the president came in, he came in on a, a Boeing 757. That's a basically a 200 passenger airplane. So it gave you the runway to accommodate larger aircraft, and those aircraft actually have the range to to get you to Europe because we have 8,400 feet. But you know you have to have the, the the business case to make that work and happen.
0: And, and we're we're seeing less uh, we're seeing less canceled flights because of the length of the runway, right? I mean it's safer in ice and in uh, inclement weather,
1: right? Well, I'd say for overall, not because you have an additional landing distance to land a plane and additional takeoff distance to take off. And so there's there's very few obstructions that, that are there every once in a while. We have to go out and remove trees that have grown uh, from a height standpoint from into the flight path. But other than that, um, you have the capability to do that. So when, again, when Trump came to town, um, they flew in uh, cargo planes, with all his, they call him the beast, the car. So we had all those things here and all those flew into Erie with no problem. So we had, you know, major cargo planes that are used around the world, you know, in uh, conflicts and all those flew in and out of Erie with no problem.
0: How does the pilot shortage, if that's really a thing, how does that affect Erie?
1: as I mentioned earlier, we were we're competing. So the airlines are now competing to try to get pilots. I mean, they've been very aggressive Uh, in the past. They never were aggressive. So what happened was, if you remember a few years ago, you had the plane crash outside of Buffalo. It was a Kogan Air that went down. And uh, Senator Schumer, who puts his nose where it doesn't belong. (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm not in his state, so I can say that. But anyway, uh, they put a rule in effect that changed the dynamics of trying to recruit pilots so the old rule was the pilot had to have 750 hours the co-pilot could have 250 and so you took somebody that had 250 hours they worked with the co-pilot he got to their 700 and then that person was able to become captain so after that accident they put a rule in everybody had to have 750 hours mm. well the ntsb did their investigation both of the pilots had over 750 hours. So that was not even the the, issue. That was not the issue. They made a poor decision. Mm -hmm. So people make poor decisions. And we've we've now created with the retirements of pilots because there's a a age restriction for when the pilots have to retire. And now this new rule comes into effect. There's created a shortage of pilots. So- all these airlines are being very aggressive. They're going to these schools in North Dakota and Emory Riddle and other places that you know build pilots up. Kent State University, not far from here as well, Ohio State University, and they're they're, they're paying these kids. Well, you come come with us. We'll give you a thirty thousand dollar bonus. Wow. Wow. I mean, that, that's how this whole dynamic has changed, and the salaries have changed. be fast, you know, they were starting off maybe call it twenty eight thousand. Now they're at fifty thousand. So the whole dynamic has changed for these younger pilots that are coming in. Um, to uh, work for the major air carriers
0: last question you've been in the news a bit uh oh you know over the mechanics issue and and the 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 train dog issue uh when you came to erie did you find some things that needed to be tidied up uh would you consider yourself a disruptor a little bit or
1: well I'm a rule follower. I referee professional ice hockey. So it's icing or it's not icing. It's offside. says not offsides. Um, there were some liability issues with the mechanic issue. We have people sneaking on the airfield, operating, really operating a business illegally, and they weren't paying insurance. Uh, and so there was a recent uh, court case that basically said, uh, that a, a mechanic came on the airport, worked on a plane, forgot to put the, uh, the oil plug in. That plane fell out of the sky, killed two people on the ground, and the airport was sued. And the airport was sued for three things, um, not fo- following their rules and regulations, make, not making sure the mechanic was certified by the FAA, and that that person had liability insurance. So what we did was we basically took that court case and made sure that our rules accommodated that. I mean, it's not fair for the airport to be held liable for something that's being done illegally on our facilities. I mean, you know, trying to have people relate to this, you can't go to a Chevy dealer and walk into your, your Chevy dealer and go use his equipment to work on your car. Right. You're not allowed to do that. And um, one of our councilwomen tried to put in, in what she understands. She says, yeah, you're in a nursing home. You can't bring in your own nursing staff to take care of you. There are people who are licensed to do that. So it's a similar thing. And the airport follows federal law. And the federal law, we sign what's called grant assurances. So anytime we sign a grant, there's about 50 laws that we have to follow. And one, of, we're, we're in violation of those laws. So what we try to clean that up. Um, You know, this issue started two years ago before I even got here. Yeah, they just didn't resolve it. So I worked to resolve it and they they don't like that. Yeah.
0: What's 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 your priority for the next six months? Uh, Just uh, kind of getting the basics going, uh, facilitating this new service of Charlotte.
1: What what's the what's the big priority? Well, next six months is we want to make sure the new new Charlotte service and Chicago service are are successful. We also are doing some remodeling. I mentioned the the rent-a-car component. We're also doing, uh, replacing all the flooring in the airport. We're replacing the, the, um, Excuse me, the seating. We're also working to uh, make the restaurant accessible from the secure side. So I met with two gentlemen this morning at the airport and then put a Sally port that somebody on the uh, non secure side could have access, get a coffee sandwich, whatever. So those are three big pockets there. We also have what's called the snow removal equipment building. So all the uh, multi million dollar pieces of equipment that we use out at the airport to remove snow, they're about $900,000. It's not good sitting outside, so we're building a building to accommodate those pieces of equipment. So we've got uh, quite a bit of construction projects and things going on as we move forward. Uh, So the next six months is going to be very hectic.
0: Derek Martin, he is the Executive Director of the Erie Regional Airport Authority. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. We want to welcome Jill Harry and Brian McNulty. Thank you so much for coming on the air.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: We appreciate that so much. Uh, uh, So... It's a family show, so we'd love to kind of get your origin stories. Uh, How did you get to the Erie region? Uh, Why don't you go ahead, uh, Jill? uh, Where'd you grow up, and how'd you get here?
3: Oh, I'm from the Venango County area, and I have lived there most of my life. So uh, working for PennDOT was a great opportunity for me. I came to PennDOT about three years ago, and I'm the press officer, so I'm the liaison between the department and the community and the legislators and the media.
0: Yeah, and oil Oil City is kind of the regional hub for yes. uh, uh northwestern Pennsylvania, yes. right? So okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so you like Van Angle County? Are you like an oil city, Franklin? No,
3: I'm, Reno? <laughs> I'm a, I grew up outside of oil city, currently live outside of Franklin, so okay. I'm a little bit of everything.
0: You're a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, uh, is that the, that's the Allegheny, right? The, yes, yes. Got to know my geography. Uh, and, and Brian, how about you? Uh, are you? Uh, did you grow up in this neck of the woods? I,
2: I grew up in uh, Ligonier, Pennsylvania, oh, sure. so south of Pittsburgh. And uh, went to school at at Pitt in Pittsburgh and uh, started working for PennDOT in Indiana, Pennsylvania uh, back in like 2009 uh, and then married a girl from Franklin, Pennsylvania. So that's what got me up this way.
0: Well, yeah, Franklin. Franklin's such a great town. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So both Steelers fans, I would imagine, or sure yeah <laughs> yeah all the way all yeah, the way yeah. yeah I was gonna say yeah all right so let's talk about the state of transportation and we'll let's limit it to Erie County because that's where our our listening base is in your opinion what, how what's uh, the 30,000 foot view of transportation in Erie County
2: good good question not probably not an easy one to answer um, the 30,000 foot view as far as as we're concerned with with what we call asset management so how what's the condition of our bridges and highways like? Uh, the answer to that question is we're doing pretty well. Uh, so, you know, our our scores are good, I guess you could say. Our, you know, we have relatively low percentages of poor condition bridges uh, and roadways compared to other parts of the state. So as far as that goes, we're doing very well. That really
0: is exciting to hear since, you know, we kind of cake on the salt and the anti-skid mm-hmm. because of all the snow that we get.
2: Right, yeah.
0: Right. So uh, I would imagine that the... The, the, the big uh, gas tax increases helped that.
2: It, it has helped a lot. Yeah, we've, we've seen a lot more projects, obviously more. You know, what, what we can do depends on how much money we have. And, you know, that's been a, a problem over the past decades or whatever. So uh, we've seen more projects, more, more pavement, more roads paved, more bridges repaired in the last few years and expect to keep seeing more of that.
0: Maybe, Joe, you could explain what is the overall prime directive of PennDOT? When it comes to Erie County, what I mean, if you had to prioritize what, what, what do you, what kind of projects are you going after? Is it, is it rebuilding? Is it new infrastructure, you know, or, or, or you know, missionally, what, what is PennDOT all about? I guess
3: I can tell you, PennDOT is about offering a safe uh, transportation system that's efficient and offers a good value. Beyond that, Brian really is the guy to answer the question. He works in the part of PennDOT that really does the asset management. So they go out and they assess the situations, try to come up with a plan, what needs to be repaired and the timeline for getting those repairs done so that when we look at our limited budget, we can figure out how we can get the most value every year, year after year.
0: I mean, uh, so bridges obviously came right up because, uh, you know, if, if you have a poor bridge, then it's a big trouble. But uh, what are the prime directives, would you say? Uh, is it is it traffic flow? Is it uh, repairing uh, aging infrastructure? What is it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. After, you know, when we talk about asset management as if that's sort of our baseline to, to fix those roads and bridges as they go as they go bad or before. Mm. Um, but, yeah, safety, congestion are all things that we're talking about. Um, you know, our our sort of plan is set by uh, we work with county planners and other planners to develop our list, our playlist of song, of uh, projects that we right. want to tackle. And so they can range from anything from, you know, places where there's a disconnect for pedestrians to a very congested traffic signal to an unsafe intersection or something along those lines.
0: And and uh, just so people understand you know, where where are the boundaries that PennDOT is working? You, you work within the city of Erie all the time, right? It's, even though maybe some of the maintenance or especially for snow removal might go to the city streets
2: department, but you have street, you have state highways with all throughout the city, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. 12th street, for example, is a state route throughout the city. So, you know, we have a, uh, a project in the works in the next few years that will look at, look at that route in particular.
0: So, I, I mean, we seem to go after 12th street every five to 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I remember it has to be what, 10 years ago now when 12th street was re-signed as, as 290. that was supposed to be the main East West, uh, uh, you know, corridor, uh, thoroughfare, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to keep people off of the Bayfront Parkway and the Bayfront Connector. Did it work?
2: good question i don't know i don't honestly know
0: (laughs) i mean yeah i mean i mean uh, because because that's again the hot topic is Mm -hmm. so much traffic on the bayfront and but people are using the bayfront incorrectly you know uh again this is my opinion as as a as a as somebody who looks at this stuff um you know they're using the bayfront connector as an east-west thoroughfare as Mm -hmm. opposed to an access road to get to to get to Bayfront Assets. And so if you want to go to the library, sure, take the Bayfront. But if you want to get to GE, don't take the Bayfront.
3: Yeah, sometimes I think we we put a project together, and then the way people use it changes over the years. So you're referring to something that may have happened 10 years ago. So the way people use that when it first opened up may have been as we thought they would. And then transportation needs have changed. Um, what's going on down on the bayfront is continually changing as we know. So one of the things we do in Pendot is to try to continually assess those needs, try to anticipate what they'll want in the future and how um, transportation might be changing. And so that our projects today will serve the community and then go back and reassess. Did we, was that a success? What kind of changes can we make? to then adjust to the way people are changing their transportation needs, like additional bicycles and pedestrian needs that we might not have thought were going to be in place that are.
0: Yeah, because, well, it, it, you know, just more of a fundamental question. How much does PennDOT need to lead the public into best practice vis-a-vis having the public pull PennDOT by the tail?
2: Yeah. It's a real, it's a real balance on every single project. And we're, we're talking about that right now with the Bayfront is that, you know, um, what, you know, what does the community want that highway to do? What, you know, that, what you mentioned, the initial question was, what should it look like? What should it do? There's a lot of different people. There's maybe 30, 24,000 or so people who drive that every day. And it's a lot of different opinions as to what, what purpose it should serve, you know? And again, like Jill said, it's, it's changing all the time so
0: we're talking to Jill Harry and Brian McNulty they're from Penn dot if you want to weigh in 679 1080 is the phone number uh, okay let's click off the major projects for 2019 because uh, you're almost done or are al- or fully done with the like the Fairview roundabout uh, you have some stuff going on on i90 can you go over some of that
2: with us sure yeah the uh, the Fairview roundabout is like you said it's uh, most of the way it's about complete Um I-90, we'll see uh, some reconstruction starting on that uh, in the spring here, in the late spring. Uh, and that's a two-year project, so that'll take, you know, really what you'll see is some bridges being replaced over the first three and a half miles of I-90 uh, in 2019, along with some work creating, uh, building the crossovers between the two, the east and westbound traffic. And then in 2020, you'll see the the actual paving, you know, being completed.
0: What what's what's the deal with trucks running into our bridges uh, out out in West County? There?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know when the interstate was built, uh, everything on the highways was a lot lower than it is yeah. today. So as that changes and the infrastructure ages, some of those bridges on the west end of ninety have have been low. It's been a problem for a long time now. So
0: and I have to ask for my friend John Honorado. When will interchange road be completed around the mall? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm looking at Jill. I'm not, I, I think it's summer of this year, but I honestly don't know the date.
0: Is it? Yeah. Is it been delayed for some reason, or is this all part of the master plan that it just um, took this long? We
3: had some utility issues. Um, it was a. More complicated than we anticipated in some areas, and there was some holdup there. If you remember, last spring was also very wet, so Absolutely. we started off with a little bit of a holdup just based on weather alone, and then those utility issues propped up, so that um, slowed things down a little bit. We had to do some additional work there than we were anticipating.
0: And are, are you uh, are you guys uh, working with Mill Creek Township about getting the that uh, pedestrian crossway over that, you know, on Peach Street, uh, there has been several pedestrians that were killed uh, along the, si- you know, the missing sidewalk there over that bridge by uh, Quinns Road and, and Route 19. Anything there that's yeah. go,
2: go, coming down? Yeah, that's a project that uh bid should be opened in 2019 for that one as well in summer construction. What, what does that entail, Brian? That's mostly uh, just just uh, filling in some missing links to sidewalks on mostly on the east side of uh, Peach Street there yeah. uh, from Kuntz, I guess. Yeah, south. Kuntz
0: South uh, yeah. past the Wendy's and whatever. All we're talking to Jill Harry and Brian McNulty from PennDOT, the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation keeping our roads and bridges safe and and also again your your mandate is is multimodal is it not i mean uh you yes. you you know you've been you've been signing uh well i guess when when governor ridge was in you know he's a big a bicyclist and so all the bike uh, all the bike routes got set so we have uh i think it's route Z up here um you know to yeah. to go across uh the county uh, I, I tell you um, just just as an aside one of the one of the issues we are having in in Erie is uh, motorists are not s- smart about how to deal with with uh, uh, people on bicycles. and we have a very bicycle friendly terrain here because of the lake plain. so if you you can go from northeast to East Springfield or West Springfield and you're basically on a flat lake plain. and so, but but drivers need to give the bicyclists some space.
3: Yeah, it's really a two prong thing there because bicyclists need to remember that they're required to follow all the same rules as motorists. Sure. So you gotta stop at those stop signs, you gotta indicate your turns. But then motorists need to remember that they have to share the road. So that means that you pull over at least four feet and give them space when you're gonna pass a bicyclist. That includes going across the center line when it's safe to do so. So And my
0: goodness, when you're on the peninsula you know that is that is a recreational space. Mm-hmm. Give them give the bicyclists mm-hmm. some space. They're not supposed to be on the mul- the multi purpose trail. They're supposed to be on the road. They're supposed to be on the the twenty five mile an hour road. That's where the bikes go and the people walk on the multi purpose trail. But again, mm-hmm. I, you know I I, <laughs> I I can get on a soapbox here. So let's talk about some some other things that are coming up uh, with Penn dot. Um, you you're starting to gather some data about the Edinburgh. Six N and Route 99 change.
2: I know that is a sacred cow for the for the Boroughites. Talk about that. right, sure, yeah. Um, there was a corridor study along that route along the Six N corridor uh, a few years back, maybe six or eight years ago, uh, and it identified a couple of improvements along there. So that's that's sort of how projects are generated, and then we work with our our planning partners, the the MPO, the Metropolitan Planning Organization. County planners to identify projects. That intersection was one that was of high priority to Erie County. So that again, it's not something that PennDOT doesn't choose those projects. Okay, we we prioritize asset management projects. We work with our planning partners to to work through these other types of projects. So what is the what is the proper uh, communication stream?
0: If you know if you have a citizen, that's in Edinburgh. Hey, I want to. I want to kind of share
2: my ideas about this six n ninety nine issue, you know. Yeah. Um, because we have a project we've we've now reached out and okay. had a public meeting, so now we probably have those links at least with the the leadership in Edinburgh. Uh, so that would probably be the best way. And that, that's probably always the best way for them to communicate with us about those kind of things.
3: And for that project in particular, it's on our website right now. So if okay. somebody didn't make it to the public meeting and wants to know more, they can go to the website, gov slash District 1. They can find the, the presentation there. That's something we've been trying to do here in the past few months a little more uh, frequently with our larger projects because we want that public involvement. We want the community to tell us what they think about it.
0: Right. And let's talk about uh, uh route to 97 and 19 there was some talk about a roundabout but it looks like a, a light is going to be the solution there right. at the northern split north of waterford
2: right yeah and that's a project that's going to construction this year so we're done with all of the the public involvement and in the those parts that are a normal uh, part of the design process uh a contractor will start working on that in the spring and it'll be a realignment so that it, it's less of a Y and more of a T, more of a 90 degree okay. intersection with a, a signal there.
0: Yeah. That, that makes It's always better if you have like a real clear yeah. left, right. Look, um, I love roundabouts. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think it's totally cool that Sager town has two of them, but, uh, uh, a lot of people don't. And, and I think it's, I don't know if it's a, an eerie, a missing gene that we don't know how to merge in eerie, but, uh, uh we'll talk about the roundabouts that you have, uh, in the works right now. And again, I mean, we'll talk about the Bayfront in a second, but uh, are there other roundabouts that are uh, on the, on
2: the slate? Yeah, there's uh there's one uh, in just West of Meadville uh, with the intersection of route six and 19. That's a, a dual lane roundabout. Uh, so that, bids have already been open so that'll be construction will be started those are bigger circles when you do the dueling yeah right right. they're not so tight it's a little yeah it's a lot different than what waterford looks like that roundabout um yeah so then the six end and 99 in edinburgh that that decision hasn't been made but it could Mm -hmm. it could be a roundabout and we're considering one in warren county to uh or in the city of warren actually uh so there again it's you know we we Create alternatives, and we bring them to the public for some some okay. feedback. You know, yeah,
0: I, I think at one point there was even talk of a roundabout over by the bagel shop on Six N. Uh, if you know that, I don't know what yep. the cross street is, but you know, again, it's 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 a it's a, a convergence of roads at weird angles that maybe a roundabout could work. Yeah, so. and that's I yep. think
3: is um, over at Hammett and yeah. Oliver here yeah. in in Erie County where they're oh, built a roundabout.
2: Oh, the the five yeah. points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're really thinking about that, huh? Yeah, that's an alternative that is has not fully been decided, but it's further along than some of those other ones that I just mentioned. Yeah,
0: let's okay. So let's talk about the Bayfront Parkway. Um, I've uh, seen different plans that talk about the Bayfront Parkway being a complete street, which would be uh, access for pedestrians, bicyclists and, of course, motorists. But slowing things down, Um, not necessarily what I was seeing on the presentation down at the at the the Russian church uh, uh, a couple months ago. Can you explain where that process is at?
2: Yeah, we, we're we in the middle of preliminary engineering, which means no decision has been made whatsoever. So again, we kind of, we look at the needs, we look at the study that's been done and what we're hearing. Um, a whole lot of uh, uh, pedestrian comments were made during that study and during our, our PE outreach. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, what we've shown is sort of something I think that, that solves a lot of the traffic congestion problems. It makes some safety improvements for the expected growth in that, in that area. Uh, But, you know, we're still, we're still receiving feedback and processing it and going back and changing, changing what we're looking at. So do
0: we need to have, I mean, it looks like it could handle some, some pretty fast traffic. And, and I'm not sure. I mean, again, in my opinion, I'm not sure that that's what the parkway is for. The parkway is for access and maybe we need the lanes, but not the speed. Uh, can you mm-hmm. comment on that? Yeah, or?
2: yeah. Again, it is really a tough, tough decision of what do you, what is this road, what is its purpose, what is you know, right. what does it need to serve? And
0: I would imagine that the hotel people have a different opinion than certainly my opinion.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: <laughs> potentially, <laughs> maybe yeah. so. potentially, maybe potentially, right? Not. I mean, yeah. Yeah. maybe not. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, they're You know, we do. Uh, uh, the MPO does a long-range transportation plan update. That's where they solicit this kind of feedback way at the beginning to decide if something's going to become a project or not. And so uh, years ago, we had a meeting like that at, at City Hall in Erie, and folks came in. And again, you think about if, if 24,000 people a day use that highway, you might have 24,000 different opinions about how it should <laughs> operate. And, and we right. had we had folks come in that say that, hey, we want to slow traffic down. We want this to be very pedestrian friendly. And we've had other folks who came in and said, I want to be able to get across town quickly. You know, I want right. to use it almost like a a bypass. So we're right. we're wrestling with all those different sort of viewpoints. Well,
0: I don't I don't to envy your position <laughs> because that probably is going to set us up uh, uh, for twenty five years in the future. What what decisions are made right now? Right. I, before I let you go, I want to read a um, uh, a comment that came in from a friend. Uh, please relay this message to your guests. Working for PennDOT, I imagine, is often a thankless job on behalf of the <laughs> Erie citizens. I would like to thank, say thank you for doing a great job in keeping our roadways safe and in good condition. I know our area and weather conditions prevent many challenges, but I'm thankful for all the hard work and planning put into infrastructure. I live by the interchange. I must say that the crews you had there working were polite and professional. Thank you for all you do. So that's a great way oh, to, 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 to cap <laughs> off our talk. We appreciate thank that. You. <laughs> we're going to have you back because there's, there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to our road structure. Jill, Harry, Brian McNulty from PennDOT, thank you so much for being a part of the Joel Natale show. We are so glad to have Ed Torres. He's the operations manager of the Erie Metropolitan Transit Authority. Big stuff is happening at EMTA. So glad that you're here, Ed.
4: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: All right, so this is a family show, so we do origin stories. How did you get to Erie? Did you grow up here? Did you? Are you a transplant?
4: No, actually, I uh, was born and raised here in Erie. Were you really? Yes, okay. Yes.
0: And, and uh, did you go to school here? Or, yes. Yeah.
4: I went to the public schools here and actually graduated from Central High. Okay, cool. And then uh, from Central High, I went on to Gannon, and then I worked a uh, little bit at Hammett. And then from Hammett, I went on to um, bussing.
0: <laughs> okay, and, and and you have this unique position that you're in management now, but you were a driver. Uh,
4: for how long was that? I was a driver for almost 16 years, and wow. then up to August, I became an operations manager.
0: Okay, terrific. And so, all right. Uh, uh, well, let me get ask you the overall question, then I'll have to ask you about some of your stories because, okay. uh, you know, so as you see it, um, as part of operating this uh, metropolitan transit authority. What's the state of transportation in Erie County as you see it?
4: Oh, the state of transportation is looking great. Uh, we have some new ideas. Uh, there's new management. Um, we have a new building being built. Our new office. Um, right now, we're in like stage two. Um, after stage two, we'll have our stage three, where we'll have a parking ramp with uh, some storefronts and some access for publics. So.
0: Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have uh, build that building out to have a public face, uh, as opposed to just kind of being quote, the bus garage, yeah, it's really going to be something else,
4: isn't it? Cor- correct. Uh, public would be able to go and, uh, purchase, uh, passes. And mm-hmm. we're looking at having like a kiosk where they can load any fares for upcoming transportation.
0: All right. So, um, so talk a little bit about your experiences as a, as a bus driver who, uh, um, you know, you you guys do a lot of different populations on the bus right cuz you do you have you have the school district um you know contract you have uh basic runs to you know fixed route you also are uh in you have the contract for the lift uh i mean the does a lot of different things for a lot of different uh people um you know uh have did you ever have like a Medical crisis you had to deal with on the bus, or uh, it was it
4: pretty smooth sailing, or, you know? Uh, for the most part, uh, my duration driving was, was pretty smooth. Um, we did have a few drivers that uh, they may have had a passenger that had a seizure at the time of the bus Seriously? or a medical yeah. condition. So they pulled the bus over and sought medical attention for them right away. And so
0: you just get on the horn and, and, and call in an Correct. ambulance? Correct. Okay. We'd
4: call dispatch, and yeah. then dispatch would also relay that message to 911.
0: And uh, who's who's riding the bus these days is uh, are you finding that um, that the the generation coming up is
4: is more uh, uh, attuned to riding on public transit? Uh, The the newer generation, yes, Um, there's there's still the little gap in between the nervousness. Um, I would say teenage years where they're kind of afraid to take the bus um, because mom and pop would. Drive them around, yeah. But now with technology and phones and the app, they're becoming adjusted to this type of uh, uh, technology. And this new app makes it easier. They can tap on our app and they can see where the route goes or when a next bus is coming. So you're
0: saying that as you, uh, as EMTA made more investments in technology, it is opening itself up to new uh, audiences, new dr- uh, riders. That's correct. Okay, so yeah, and I used I used it. Uh, here, here's my here's my latest bus story because I'm a uh, I'm a big bus rider. I used to, my uh, my coworkers used to kid me because I would take the bus in the middle of the winter. It would be snowing and blowing, and I would take the bus from Peach Street to Edinburgh. I was able to get on that Edinburgh bus anywhere along um, Peach Street. And again, sometimes the bus was so full I had to stand because it was full of. Edinburgh University students, right? Especially, you know, during, obviously, during session, Exactly, right? exactly. But you um, also had Edinburgh University workers there. And then, you know, the, the odd person like me who was, I, I have a job in Edinburgh, so I had a job in Edinburgh. So I, I jumped on the bus. Anyway, anyway um, you know, the latest use that I had was I was on jury duty. And I said, "Oh, I'm not going to bring my car to the to the ramp and pay, even if with a discount from the jury duty, it was going to still be less expensive to, to jump on the bus." And so I did. I I went on the State Street, I think 27 or something like that, and uh, did did the bus all the way down. It's just so easy, especially in the summer where you're like out in the sunshine and it's a beautiful day, and you got to get on the bus for for uh, for jury duty. Um, do but. Do you, Like, are you seeing, like, workers at Erie Insurance or workers at Gannon? I mean, are people using it in that kind of regard uh, so much, you know?
4: Uh, we have uh, seen an increase in uh, people for e, uh, UPMC. Oh, and, okay, uh, sure. UPMC, they're allowed to ride the bus with their card. So uh, coming from other parts of town yeah. into work. Uh, one of the, the problems that we do see is... Um, Erie's still a town where people are are focused on having their car nearby, and so we even ha- though they
0: have an eight-hour shift, yeah, seven to three or whatever, right? I mean,
4: mm-hmm. and and like we have a park and ride, the Hoffman Park and Ride out there off of Sixteenth uh, and Lincoln, and we we're encouraging people to park out there, catch our shuttles in the morning to come into work, and you know, then your your car is left out in that area and you're fine, especially during. Uh, a great Tuesdays, roar on the shore, traffic's a little bit congested here. That's here we true. have that bus will take you to your car. So uh, they're starting to move more toward that direction. And, um, you know, we've been over to UPMC and, and we've discussed a couple options uh, for them as well. But um, yes, area insurance, uh, people that work for the courthouse, they've all been uh, jumping onto one of the shuttles, and I, I think it's turned out pretty great. Now, when you make the distinction between a shuttle and regular fixed-route
0: service, is the shuttle free?
4: Now, there's a free shuttle. That's the trolley, the okay. Route the route 20, and that's the trolley that runs from Dobbins Landing up to 14th Street. Okay, that's the, that's that metro shuttle, or like that up and down State Street. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And then then we have a park-and-ride shuttle that usually caters toward... Uh, UPMC, um, if courthouse wants to ride it, they can mm-hmm. ride it, area insurance. And those routes generally run in the morning. Then the shift breaks up and it ends until maybe 4 o'clock in the daytime. Then it starts back up to bring those passengers back. And now those ones, if you have your ID, you can ride or if you have some other type of fare.
0: Okay, so um, so right now, who are the major employers that are offering bus service? You said UPMC? Uh,
4: yeah, there's UPMC that's offering it. Uh, Erie Insurance is offering it. Wow. The courthouse, okay. so the county,
0: yeah. Is, is and of offering. course, if you're a college student with a Gannon ID, or uh, which which colleges allow their students to ride?
4: Um, right now we have uh, Penn State, Baron, Edinburgh, Mercyhurst, and Gannon. So, so all four, four of colleges, them. yes, are on board.
0: So, yeah, l- listeners, if you you know. If you're worried about you know paying that uh, meter easy or you know paying for the ramp, if you have a college ID, that bus
4: is free for you. That's right, with with the current sticker for that year. Yeah, please. very cool.
0: We're talking to um, where are we here? We're talking to Ed Torres. You, you know, uh, you're you you. I think you're mandated to go through. Like a, uh, uh, not restructuring, but just to be able to analyze all your fixed routes, what, what, every five or 10 years or so? Uh, Just somewhere around there, yes. yes. And so right now you're kind of in that uh, study stage?
4: Yes, there was a a, a study phase. Actually, it was a TDP. Um, There was public meetings on. um, There was two options. There was an option one and an option two that was open for public comment. And currently, uh, they're working on a option three that will be open to the public as well. So you're um, going to have another meetings.
0: plan of a public meetings. You think that or? is correct? That okay. is correct
4: on, on a third option for the TDP. Yes.
0: Okay. And what what are some of the felt needs of of changes uh, off the top of your head? Uh, I I know I know that from one of the options I saw that you know some of the some of the traffic, let's say to the Saint Vincent's Hospital area, was just it was very lightly ro- red ridden Um, and so they were kind of making some changes that way and also maybe some changes getting people back to the mall you want to you were saying something about uh, getting the Albion bus back to the mall
4: yeah uh, currently our Albion bus uh, when it leaves Albion and it comes into town it would head straight downtown before we had it going to the Mill Creek Mall so now we have some more expressed interest so we will be adding mall service back on our next service sign up in march okay terrific
0: we are talking to ed torres he's the operations manager of emta if you have a question for our friends at the at the bus company you can give us a call at six seven nine ten eighty what do you think people don't understand about the bus system what's uh, what's the greatest misnomer or lack of understanding
4: um i i think that sometimes the people experience reading the schedule problems there are inbound and outbound they they Get a little bit of that mixed up, like what's the inbound and what's the outbound. Yeah. So somewhere yeah. along that, doesn't line.
0: the app kind of help you with that though? And again, when we say the app, this is something that you search for in the in either in Google Play or in the iTunes uh, App Store. um and, and what is it called again? At, oh,
4: we have a transit tracker. Transit tracker. Okay. Yes.
0: Yes. And so you're going to look for transit tracker, then you key in Erie, and you're able to look at all of the different routes. Um, you know uh, uh, the uh, you know what about customer service i know that there's the new apps what happens if somebody calls uh the phone uh, is is that some some place where you're putting some additional investment in in just you know you know and get you know just kind of that customer service out in front of people uh kind of mode there
4: uh, yes uh, currently our dispatchers Uh, They handle any incoming calls, and then usually any other calls are passed back to myself or Dale Hall. He's another operations supervisor. But in the near future, we would like to bring on board uh, some customer relations uh, personnel to handle specific customer comments or complaints.
0: Okay, well, that's that's great because, again, sometimes it's just people that— Want to know? Hey, is my bus late? I I remember being in that situation, you know, especially in the blizzard, you know, where your buses could get twenty, thirty, forty minutes late. You're standing out there wondering, well, where is it? This is before the app, kind of not knowing where the you know the, exactly. the guy was actually at. And so, and, and then if the phone is ringing off the hook or you know if there's too many calls, it's a kind of a double whammy, you know, because you're you can't get any information. You're out in the cold. You don't know if you should leave the the position and get get shelter or something like that
4: exactly and then we also try to post um any delays on our website as okay well so, oh, like
0: in real time correct correct okay. so if, if
4: we do know about something or something upcoming uh, erica nowak our uh, marketing director she will go on the website and post um you know any detours or bus will be late because of such and such a reason okay
0: Ed Torres, he is the operations manager of the Erie Metropolitan Transit Authority. Ed, thank you so much for being with us. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, you know occurs to me, if especially if you're someone who's, who doesn't have a lot of uh, a means, you know, if you you know you if you don't have a car, you depend on the bus or or um, and sometimes just a car is out of the question, you know, especially for uh, those in in in, the, in you know uh, without a lot of money. Um, but I'm mostly concerned about, you know, in the in the the urban I'm sorry, the urban poor have a lot of access, right? I mean, if they want to get to uh, you know, downtown, if they want to get to the clinic, if they want to um, you know, get to the mall, you know, there's there's fixed routes all throughout um, you know, the city. Yes. But let's talk about the urban poor because like I know for example, like that route to uh, Corey. Corey, is that just once a week
4: now, or is that daily? That's uh, five days a week. It is. And does it go through Waterford and Union City, or it, yes? When the when the route first started a couple of years ago, that route would have left the garage and then it would have went Parade Street up Route Eight, so it cut out a lot of the oh, area. Oh, it did
0: cut it out. So okay. what
4: we found out was there was a greater need to start that bus from downtown. And we'd run that bus up through Mill Creek Mall, then up through Waterford, Waterford through Union City, and then Union City over six in the quarry. When we did that, we found a lot of uh, increased ridership during that time, which is great. Uh, and then we'd run that bus all the way out to quarry. Once that bus arrived in quarry, it would spend about an hour and a half, two hours in quarry making loops throughout quarry to provide service to quarry.
0: So so that same bus is, is the rotator in quarry. And then does it come come back to the city? Then Th-
4: that is correct. When that bus heads back into town, the inbound, there'll be another bus outbound heading out to Corey. So they kind of meet each other along the way.
0: So there, so there's there is uh, two outs and two ins from Cory uh, a day. It sounds like, or or is it it's two about, outs and an in, or whatever? About four times
4: a day. Four or times a day. Yeah, wow. Yeah,
0: okay, so that's really greatly improved because. Uh, one of those things that you know really concerns me is you know if you have a doctor's appointment let's say and you're not going to do the lift or whatever um uh you know if you just want to use regular bus or 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 to see somebody in town for services if you if you're rural poor this is a great improvement especially in places like Union City and Cory and Waterford and along the route uh, that's super exciting to me um uh, what what about uh um uh you know this tram idea. I don't. I don't know if if you guys have talked about this at all, but it's part of um, the Urban Land Institute has kind of recommended a tram to to uh, complete State Street. It would be an, a connection from the Bayfront uh, hotels or or the Bayfront Parkway up State Street and go up to 14th and kind of make a a turnaround. What what's your take on that from the EMTA point of view?
4: Um, I, I think uh right now we already have a service that's in place, and that's that free trolley that okay. I was talking about, and that runs from Dobbins Landing up to Fourteenth Street. So if there was an actual additional need, then additional buses could be put on that route, but currently we've run one bus up to about six thirty at night and what's the, what's area.
0: the ridership right now with with the trolley and again, it's a free trolley it's that uh you know the cultural loop or, or something like that, right? Or that's uh, the a, cultural loop is that's actually, actually something different. Isn't that's, it? Right.
4: that's right. That's right. Explain what side. that is. Yeah, the cultural loop is uh, a route designed for when there's events downtown, okay. the Playhouse, uh, uh, uh people that are going there. Um, they could jump on one of the cultural loops, riding around at that time, and park their car down at the Intermodal, and then that will drop them off at either like the Civic Center, Warner Theater, Erie Playhouse. So uh, free
0: parking at the Intermodal and get to your, get to your
4: event. Correct, correct. Oh, that's really cool. And, and, and also free ride up there. That's
0: all right. So uh, back to so back to the State Street deal. Um, how 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 used
4: is that? Would you say um, that route is used frequently? Uh, we do have a lot of passengers that would catch that route and then come down to the library, and makes it very efficient for them uh, because we do go in front of the library. Um, ridership on that one is actually. Up, to, uh, we used to run four buses on that route, but because the buses were so spread out, we may have had um, maybe ten, twenty people at a time on the bus. Mm-hmm. Where now we might have maybe twenty, twenty-five, thirty people on the bus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's. I mean, it depends on certain days, but it can be crowded. Wow,
0: that's well, that's that's good news to know because. Uh, again, uh, you know, it's all about measuring need and, you know, expense of in- investment and so on. Uh, we just have like a minute left. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, give your give your best pitch for uh, folks that, you know, maybe could leave their car at home and, and save themselves some headache and and get on the bus to go downtown.
4: Well, uh- I would encourage anyone who would like to try the bus to um, uh, park at one of our park and rides or park down by the library or the intermodal and uh, jump on our free trolley and ride around town. And if you decide you like that, then uh, maybe purchase a ticket or um, stop by the office and speak with one of us. We do have travel training as well. And, um, you know, uh, we have our website. So. I'd encourage you to jump on one of our buses and and ride around and just just see what it's like. Buy a day pass, you know, jump from bus to bus and try it out. I I think you'll be really amazed.
0: Yeah, and tell you what, it is convenient. Ed Torres, thank you so much. He's the operations manager of EMTA, the Erie Metropolitan Transit Authority. We are talking about the state of transportation, and I'm totally geeking out today because I am a road geek. I collect maps. I love. uh, train timetables, and I have I have old uh, Allegheny Airlines timetables that I have in my collection. But we're talking about um, uh, the train part of this, and uh, the uh, opportunity for high speed rail. Yeah, and we have Brian Pitzer, an old friend. Uh, welcome aboard. All aboard, <laughs> All aboard, Erie. Welcome, Brian.
5: Well, Joel, thank you so much for having me. And, and congratulations to you and the, and the station here for this wonderful uh, talk venue that you've created for, uh, for Erie to talk about these kinds of issues. So.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad, and, and again, you, you've been able to listen. Uh, is, is it fun to listen to? Are you oh,
5: learning stuff? Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing to see the range of of people and experts as you've been able to bring yeah. to this forum, and and to share some really important information. People have been very kind. All
0: right, so we start out with an origin story. Uh, you came up
5: uh, in Ohio, right? Is that your own, well, home area? Uh, I'm from Zelienople area. Oh, you yeah. are from Zelienople. Yes. Okay, yes. cool. Yes. And uh, went to Kent State uh, where I met my wife and um, uh, then be- uh, began a long academic career in academia at the mm-hmm. uh, University of Pittsburgh and then Edinburgh and then concluded that at Chicago State. And about 10 years ago, uh, a group formed here uh, called All Aboard Erie. And um, I went to a meeting and I said, how can I help? And they and they said, you're in charge. Uh, so oh, I never knew that yeah. story. Uh, for some reason, I thought you were the. The original train idea. Guy. It was uh, Lisa Austin and, and wow. some of some of those uh, her colleagues. Uh, uh, that was a spinoff from another organization, yeah. and, and and be this April, uh, ten years ago, was our, the very first meeting.
0: Is, that's amazing, and and the uh, the
5: original mission for All Aboard Erie uh, was for high speed rail. Well, it, primarily to. Promote transportation options, okay and not just high-speed rail. But that's that's been the main focus throughout uh, our, our existence. Has been uh, high-speed rail, but also local uh, bus and and other transit issues as well. Sure. So let's take
0: that thirty thousand foot view. We'll uh, we'll get into the plane for a second. So what what do you see as a state of
5: transportation uh, from your perspective? Well, there's there's a a, a, a Subtle or quiet revolution going on in transportation in the United States, and it's moving towards uh, transit. It's moving towards rail transportation and high-speed rail. And you're seeing that, uh, unfortunately, not in a unified nationwide epis- um, effort, but a more a scattered, localized effort. And where we're looking primarily is in Texas, California, and Florida. Uh, there's a group that start out uh, called All Aboard Florida. Um, that uh, made its mission to create a transportation system for South Florida. And uh, that evol- uh, evolved into what's called Brightline. And now um, Mr. Branson from Virgin Airways has yeah. has got on board with that. And so it's now a different name, Virgin something or other. Uh, but they are building a train system in Florida uh, from Miami northward. And uh, eventually they hope to connect to... Um, Uh, the uh, Tampa Bay area.
0: Oh, okay. So not only up the ninety-five corridor, but over to the Gulf Coast.
5: That's right. Yes.
0: So uh, again, yeah. Well, you think about if you've ever driven ninety-five in South Florida. Uh, and again, it's been many years, but. Even back many years ago, it was six, seven, eight lanes wide each side. I mean, how many more lanes
5: can you build, right? It's crazy. And that's why uh, uh, rail transportation is one of the most efficient ways to move um, many people.
0: We we were setting up the show. um, We were talking about why is it that the rail thing kind of fell off the rails in the U.S. versus you know these really wonderfully build out um, systems in other first world countries like the e- European Union or in Japan. Yes,
5: yes. Well, it it it's part of the history of this uh, country uh, that we had cheap gas, lots of space, and so mm-hmm. highways were cheap to build. There was room to build them. Um, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was really the person who got it started with yeah. the Interstate Highway Act in 1956, and that's how we got our interstate highway system started. And they paid for it with a gas tax, and everything was fine and dandy. Right. Um, and so everybody wanted to have their car and be able to drive wherever they wanted to, and so that's why passenger rail fell off. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, it, you know, it's and wind, that's
0: inner city rail, but even yes. but even the the concept of in uh, trust city rail, you know, ripping out the trolley tracks and things. Erie was an innovator when it came to the trolley a hundred years ago. We were we were ahead of the game, right?
5: Yes, yes. Uh, we had a wonderful, a robust uh, trolley system in Erie, but it was killed by two things, the depression and the automobile. Yeah. Uh, keep in mind that uh, the, tr- the trolley system Erie was a private company, a for-profit company, and it's very difficult for uh, private companies to make money when you're competing against what essentially is a free service the highways uh, the streets are free to use um and uh you're they're subsidized by taxes so it's not a a level playing field by any means
0: all righty so um uh so let's 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 go back to the macro view again again i i could go so many rabbit trails with you brian because we've had these conversations <laughs> yes, over coffee yes uh, um where is uh where is high speed rail at as far as bringing those options to erie after 10 years now of working mm-hmm. at it
5: well um let me just give tell you a little funny story a few years ago a dear friend of mine asked me will we have high speed rail in our lifetime and in all seriousness I, I turned to her and said, "Well, that depends. How long are you planning on living <laughs> um the The reality is that um it's we've been talking about this for ten years and advocating for it, and we've got a lot of exposure and a lot of conversation, but yet um nothing is really um solid has happened and um w- we need a um a champion, uh, someone to step forward and say, look, we're going to do this. We're going to take this as a cause. And I'm talking to a champion, uh, uh, champion in the in the public sphere, yeah. someone at the state level, someone at the local level who has this kind of uh, influence that can say, look, we want to take a serious look at this.
0: Is Pennsylvania as a commonwealth, as a state kind of behind the eight ball when you consider, you know, because Texas is certainly not a place where uh, people are apt to give up their cars. You know, I mean, that, that is a very independent-minded uh kind of state but they're they're seeing that they can only build so many uh, uh, lanes of traffic right
5: yes that's the other state that you're going to see high-speed rail in just to be
0: able to get from uh texas yeah to get what from austin to or dallas to houston Houston, yes and
5: that's about a 200 230 mile trip which is too a little too short for air travel right but a little too far for an easy drive yeah. So um, the there's a private company called the Texas Central Railway, which has uh, moved forward with plans and and financing, and they're looking to build a true 200 mile an hour high speed rail system wow. in Texas. And Texas is a is a great place to start.
0: You know, it, it occurs to me, and again, this is the state that had the Pennsylvania Railroad, Cornelius Vanderbilt. You know, <laughs> I mean, I think about. The the tunnels that were dug uh, in the Allegheny Mountains in the Appalachian Mountains to get trains from Pittsburgh to uh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you talk about a 250 uh, mile jaunt. It would seem to me that uh, that the the those uh, with the uh, with the power to uh, institute it would be automatically thinking about high speed on the Pittsburgh Philly
5: corridor. Yes. And um, although you could put the turnpike to uh, <laughs>
0: to bankruptcy if you do that.
5: And actually, PennDOT did a study just last year on what it would cost to make a uh, higher speed rail uh, practical between um, Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia. And it, you can do it. But it's expensive because you're going through the mountains. Yeah, and mountains are not conducive to to train travel.
0: Now, but Japan has all kinds of mountains, and they just tunnel right and through.
5: And they follow the coast, and they and yeah. they spend them. But it's worth it for them to do that. Yeah, um, they don't have the Pennsylvania Turnpike, right. <laughs> right? Right, <clears throat> to compete with. So. Um, it, you know, I believe that we will have high-speed rail in in Pennsylvania and across the country. It's a matter of when. And one of the things I think that's going to drive this is climate change. Okay. Uh, we are seeing report after report that's saying the, the, the greatest contributor to climate change from the United States is the automobile because of the uh, the carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide uh, emissions from, sure. uh, from automobiles. Um, uh, once we get serious about climate change, we, then people are going to say, well, one of the solutions is rail transportation.
0: We're talking to Brian Pitzer. He's from All Aboard Ear. If you want to weigh in, maybe you think maybe you think high-speed rail is a, a boondoggle. I don't know. But uh, we'll, let's have a, a civil conversation about it. Six, seven, nine, ten, eighty. 1080 I want to look at your map because, again, I'm a, I'm a big map guy. And so uh, let's talk about the Erie solutions to high-speed rail. Now,
5: you have these delineated as to – All of the current rail um, rights of way, correct? Yes, that's correct. The red is the current rights of way, the blue is Interstate 79.
0: And so, uh, one solution would obviously be to put some kind of either elevated track or or median track right along 79. That's correct,
5: yes. And um, this may be news, uh, but we have a group of Penn State graduate students, who is doing a study for us this year uh, that is looking at the feasibility of doing a high-speed rail line right down I-79. Wow. And we- oh. well,
0: Okay, yeah, we'll take the break, and then well, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Things got ahead of me here. It's its 517. You're tuned to the Joel Natale Show. More about rail and all kinds of different things of transportation as we continue on the, the all-new TalkErie.com the amount of economic activity that could happen for someone that lives
5: in Erie and do you anticipate like one or two stops in between there? Well, if we have high, true high-speed rail of 200 miles an hour, you'd only want to have one or two stops between here and Pittsburgh. Because, because
0: one of the routes would go to Ashtabula again, which is another major port. Yes, And so you could, I mean, you could really pull in Ashtabula and Youngstown and then it, it becomes this more regional, you're almost creating a mega- you know, uh, uh, you know, a mega uh, aspect to this thing.
5: Imagine, Joel, if you had a high, sp- a true high-speed rail system connecting not only Erie and Pittsburgh, but let's say Toronto or Buffalo or Cleveland or Chicago. I mean, uh, people forget about Toronto being 6 million people just across the lake. Yeah, you know? right. Um, th- there's, the potential is so great.
0: Let's take a call. Uh, caller, you're on with uh, Brian Pitzer as we talk about transportation here on the Joel Natalie Show.
6: Uh, good afternoon and um I just want to uh kind of interject uh relative to my experiences using uh rail transportation in Italy, which is <clears throat> so advanced um I've been there you know several times. We never rent a car in the mainland we do in Sicily because uh the rail system there really isn't uh, equal to what, you know, you can experience uh, in the boot. Um, It's cheap, it's fast, and um, it's, you know, well-utilized. And I've often thought, you know, there's no way to get to Pittsburgh anymore except to drive. They got rid of, um, as uh, your first guest uh, explained, they got rid of all the airline routes to Pittsburgh. Um, but wouldn't it be great to take a train, a high-speed train to Pittsburgh, another one to Philly, and then, you know, you're basically in the New York area. Um, so, you know, I, I would be a supporter, and um, I would utilize it, as long as it was kind of the same model as Italy, where, you know, it's very affordable. I don't know if we could uh, uh, replicate that here, but if we could... Yeah, uh, it would be a fantastic development, you know, for every area of the country. I don't know how, you know, realistic it is for every area of the country, but you know, in a like a more dense area like the eastern seaboard, um, and I guess they do have.
0: Well, they have the Acela. They have the Acela from Boston to oh, DC. Yeah, but again, it's it's not yeah. true. So it's it, it, it's not true high speed. No, no, it's not. Um,
5: yeah. Well, oh, oh. true high
6: speed in Italy is like 150 to 175 miles an hour. So you can get from, you know, Rome to Naples, Rome to Florence, Florence to Venice, you know, Florence to Milan, everywhere. It's like, I don't know, somewhere between, you know, an hour and a half and two hours, two and a half hours. You're anywhere. And it's cheap, and it's comfortable, and it's clean. And it's, you know, despite what people say, um, I've found that uh, they're very dependable, you know, um, both the regional. Now, you know they do have regional trains, which are even cheaper. I mean, right. high speed costs a little bit more, but you know.
0: Okay, l- l- let's let and Brian. Plastic. Let's let Brian respond. Uh, I mean, w- yeah, what what about a European uh, model for the
5: U.S.? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, the caller has listed all those wonderful reasons why. The, the train systems in Europe are so successful. They're fast. They're clean. They're convenient. They're frequent. And and actually more than high speed rail, people want frequent service, frequent dependable mm. service. They can you know they'll know within an the hour there'll be a train to Pittsburgh. There'll be a train to uh, to uh, Cleveland or Chicago. Um, and 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 they started a long time ago. You know Japan started planning for their high speed uh, train service back in 1959. Yeah, right after the war. Right. I mean. And, and then then five years later, it was operational. And here we are 50 years later, and we still have nothing to, to compare to it.
0: Let's take another call. You're on with uh, Brian Pitzer and Joel Natale on TalkErie.com. Hi, how you doing? Doing well.
6: Uh, this is Joel. How you doing, Brian and Joel?
0: Yeah, doing uh, well.
6: <laughs> my, que- my, question, my question is, um, I have two questions, actually. How, I, I heard of the... Um, high-speed rail from Erie to Pittsburgh going down the center of 79, it seems like a really good idea. How much would something like that cost?
5: I'm glad you asked. And also, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry.
6: Because that's, that's got to be a lot of money. <laughs> and also, I wanted to know if um, if there's any word about building up a uh, bicycle infrastructure in the city.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I know that, uh, uh, the, you know, as part of the city planning efforts, the bicycles, or complete streets, are are part of the downtown master plan, and you also see that in Erie refocused. Again, there needs to be like like Brian says, there needs to be will on on the part of public authorities. But speak to uh, the cost of uh, that I-79 corridor there.
5: The the quick answer is we don't know what it will cost, okay. and that's why we need to do the studies, gotcha. and which is really what all aboard Erie is calling for. We need to do a next level study, um, uh, a detailed professional study to tell us. What's the best route? What's it gonna cost? How many people are gonna ride it? Uh, How frequently will it go? And most importantly, what are the economic benefits that kind of system will create? Um, Most people aren't aware, I don't think, that our interstate highway system is almost entirely subsidized, not only by the gas tax that we pay, but also the federal government. It comes right out of the federal budget. So, um, when people worry about the the cost of what a high speed rail system cost will, will cost, you know the the system we have now is pretty pretty darn expensive. Yeah.
0: thank you, caller. Hey and so um you know uh, the the some of the routes they are looking at could go through Bula, would pick up Youngstown again, kind of increase uh, the ridership. The, the ridership um, you know, and that that doesn't add that much time. To that route, right? I mean, have you have you have an estimate of an Erie to Pittsburgh via Ashtabula, How long that would take? Well, we haven't, and that's why we need okay. to do the Again, study. study. We're to the point that we really need to find yeah, absolutely. out. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and so who com- funds that? Is that is that a transformational grant from a <laughs> from a, a foundation that shall not be named, or well, you know, yeah, or I mean, there, or is that a state grant?
5: Well, you know? you know, you'd love to see the this happen at the state level um but certainly it could be done locally a a quick and dirty study and i'm talking you know less than a hundred thousand dollars could be done could be done locally wow um and it, it really wouldn't take that much to do to do the first well i not a uh, feasibility study but a route study
0: yeah just a route study okay we got like one minute and a half so i want to i want to pivot to the tram yes because uh it, it was a Urban Land Institute recommendation, it appears right on page 21 of the final report, <laughs> that it could it could be a game changer for Erie, putting in the tram. You held a conference, what was that, in the summer? Uh, October. October, oh, so it was only in October, yes. uh, that you brought in the experts yes. saying, you know, this is done, all, you know, we can replicate these models that are out there. Give the best pitch for the tram.
5: Well, uh, where we've seen um, streetcar systems put in uh, in the uh, across the United States, and there are many, many cities that are adopting and creating transit systems, they work wonders. Not not everywhere, but in uh, where they uh, are designed well and thought out well. Um, a a rail transit system a streetcar, a light rail system can make a big big difference in economic development and that's why we need to do the study in erie that should be the next step
0: so uh, so study the tram study the high-speed rail exactly last question uh, and again more of a missional question for all aboard erie Uh, how can people get more involved in their transportation choices just you know what You know, what are some of the options of getting involved and kind of putting their voice to the kind of work that you guys are doing?
5: Well, we have our Facebook page, and that is All Aboard Erie on Facebook. That is the best way to reach us. And we have a growing following on Facebook, and we post on there, and uh, we we can make uh, contact that way.
0: And, and again, you have your, your meetings where, where your folks meet and, and discuss these transportation issues. Yes, our and, next meeting is going to be April 1st at the Admiral Room of the Library at 6 p.m. Okay, so Brian Pitzer, we appreciate it so much as as we we kind of getting educated about these options. And, you know, this, this uh, high-speed rail really piques people's interest because they can see, you know, if I... You know, I I look at it this way. Um, if we are having job shortages in Erie, you know they're having jobs, sh- not job shortages, but um, you know a, a lack of work of, of qualified workforce in Erie. You know that they're going to have similar uh, uh, to Pittsburgh. So if we can uh, if we can make our these two metropolitan areas combine through transportation then we're sharing workforces and people have options so they can say you know what uh I have a friend that that drives a Mentor every day right uh, I mean you know that's a pretty good haul I'm sure it's not great in the in the winter but to be you know if you if he would if he had that option to jump on a on a light rail or a quick train or something I just feel like the that that uh that old 20th century corridor is so underutilized isn't it I mean it's nuts
5: well, the, the, the question you should ask, are we going to be the last uh, city to have high-speed rail or are we going to be one of the first? Wow. And, uh, you know, we can wave our own magic wand if we want to.